In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let us pray as our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, welcome. It's a pleasure and a privilege for me to be here with you and to lead you over the next 48 hours, give or take, um, hopefully into a deeper relationship with Christ and his church. And really, our, our whole focus is something that Pope St. John Paul II spoke, at, spoke about at length, and that is that universal call to holiness, to which each of us is called by virtue of our baptism and how is it that we grow in holiness? We grow in holiness by seeking he who is alone holy. We grow in holiness by seeking God. And so we try to, to grow into a, a deeper relationship with Christ and his church. And so to be men of God, it means this should be on the uh, first and foremost in our lives, desiring to grow in holiness, growing closer to our God and allowing that holiness to spill over to everyone in our lives. So, give you a little bit of an introduction to who I am. Um, as you heard a little earlier, I'm Bishop James Wall, and I'm the Bishop of the Diocese of Gallup. And Gallup's a unique diocese in that it's located in two states. It's pretty much the only diocese like that in the United States. So, I was born in Arizona, I was actually born on the Navajo Reservation when I was less than a year old moved down to the Phoenix area. I grew up in Chandler, Arizona. I went to University of Arizona, but unfortunately finished at Arizona State. And then I um, went into the seminary for the uh, Diocese of Phoenix in 1993. And I was ordained a priest in 1998. And I had a couple of assignments as parochial vicar, and then eventually I was named pastor of a wonderful parish in Phoenix, St. Thomas the Apostle Parish. And then Bishop Olmsted, who's a wonderful and a holy man, asked me to be the vicar for priest in the Diocese of uh, Phoenix. And in my mind, I had it, is that, okay, I'm gonna go do this, this position and work in the chancery, work for the bishop with all the priests. In my mind, I had it that I was gonna do this for about 10 years, and then I was going to return uh, to the parish life. I loved, loved being a parish priest. The inspiration for me as a parish priest was, was St. John Vianney. That had a lot to do with my own personal vocation. So that's, those are the plans that I had. Those are the things that I wanted to do. And then on January 24, 2009, at 7.50 a.m., I got a phone call. And I looked at the area code, and the area code said 202, and I thought, why do I know that 202? Why do I know that 202? And so I listened to the message, and the message was from Archbishop Pietro Sambi. And Archbishop Sambi was the um, apostolic nuncio to the United States. He's the Pope's representative to the United States. Christophe Pierre is our current representative. 
And so I listened to this message and it said, Father Wall, when you have a chance, please give me a call. And I thought, well, I'm the vicar for priests. I deal with priest personnel. And perhaps he wants to talk to me about one of our priests. So I called him and I said, Archbishop, this is Bishop Wall, returning your phone call. And he said, it's a wonderful, just joyful Italian. They called him the, the, uh, the super nuncio. He was an amazing man. And he said, Father Wall, the Lord has a big surprise for you today. And I like surprises. And I said, oh, he does. What is it? And he said, our Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, has appointed you Bishop of Gallup. Now, they always say that if you can ever see a tidal wave coming at you, there's no way of getting out of the way of it, right? Run, and as you, can, as you, as you try, you're not going to get out of the way. That's kind of like what this announcement was. Our Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, that kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then it hit me when I heard the word Gallup. And I cannot tell you a thing that he said after that. No idea. So thankfully, Archbishop Sambi was very talkative, and he eventually stopped talking. And I, and I just said, well, what do I do now? And most of my bishop friends will say, well, they'll, they'll say to you, do you accept? Yes, I accept. Or please let me speak to my spiritual director first. He could have said that. I had no idea what he was saying this entire time when I was kind of stunned. It's like a boxer in a ring. It takes a shot, and he's trying to get his legs back underneath him. That's really what I was like. It really was quite a, a, a stun. And so when I kind of came to, I said to him, I said, well, what do I do now? And he says, will you write a letter to the Holy Father? And either accepting or not. And, and I said, okay. So that for me was my, my yes to God's call to be a bishop. And um, I simply felt that this was a call of the Holy Spirit. And I trusted that it, the Holy Spirit was working through Pope Benedict, working through Archbishop Zambi, and communicating this to me. And so my response simply was, it wasn't a yes. It was a yes, but it, it wasn't that word. My response is, well, what do I do now? You know, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of everlasting life. And so he, he said, just write a letter to the Holy Father accepting this and said, I, I, I will. And so these are the words that uh, Archbishop Sambi gave to me that gave me a lot of confirmation that was the, um, the which, what, that confirmed it all for me. He said, just as our Lord called, her, called Peter and Andrew, James and John, trust that the Lord is calling you to be a bishop in service to his church in the Diocese of Gallup. And the second I heard the second half of those words, James and John, trust that he is calling you, I knew automatically this was of the Lord. And this is how I knew it was of the Lord. My first name is James. I was named after my father. And you'll hear me talk a little bit about my father over the, over the weekend. And so when I heard that, I thought, ah, James, there's confirmation. And then he also said, John, my middle name is Sean. It's Irish for John. I'm named after my grandfather, who was John. And so when I heard James and John, I knew exactly who it was that was calling me. It was the Lord was calling me. And just as he had called the first four, he too had called me uh, to be a successor of the apostles. And so I was uh, named in 2009 of January, and I was uh, ordained and installed 
as a fourth bishop of the Diocese of Gallup on April 23rd, 2009. And I've been in the diocese for close to 11 years, and I truly, truly love it. And the reason why I love it is I trust that this is where the Lord wants me. And so I was able to listen to his voice and trust that, Lord, this is where you want me. It, always, it hasn't always been easy. There's been difficult times. There's lots of joyful times. There's been sad times, lots of that. But ultimately, throughout all of that, I trust this is where and how God is calling me in service of his people in the Diocese of Gallup. Give you a little bit of history on the Diocese of Gallup because it is unique. So we go back to the year 1531. This should be a, a year that most Catholics should know, especially in the Americas. In 1531, that was the year that Our Lady Guadalupe appeared to St. Juan Diego. Prior to that, the efforts of the Spanish missionaries, they were not very successful in terms of winning converts for the faith. But when Our Lady of Guadalupe appears, and she appears to St. Juan Diego, and who is it that she identifies who she is to him? Am I not your mother, right? So she, she identifies with him and lets, her know, lets him know who she is as well. And we know we have that beautiful image of Our Lady Guadalupe uh, where she's pregnant, right? And what does Our Lady always do? Our, Our Lady always points toward her son. And so after this acceptance of this appearance of Our Lady, acceptance by the church, we know that millions and millions and millions of people came into the Catholic faith at that moment because of the appearance of Our Lady, 1531. Now, if we remember our history a little well as well too, this is, so this is early 16th century. We know what was happening in Europe early 16th century. We had King Henry who was claiming himself as the, the head of the church in England. We had the so-called reformers such as Zwingli and Calvin and Luther who were drawing people away from the church, not really drawing them into the church, the church which Christ had established, but they were drawing them away from the church and, and ultimately kind of leading them uh, toward leading people to themselves. So here you have millions and millions of people leaving the church, but here in the Americas, through the intercession of Our Lady, we have millions and millions of people coming to know the faith. 1531. Let's move forward about eight years to the year 1539. And we know that there was a Spanish envoy that was coming up into the area, which is now the United States. And they had Spanish uh, conquistadors, but they also had Spanish missionaries. And the Spanish, one of the Spanish missionaries who was with them, as part of that group, was a Franciscan friar named Marcos Deniza. And Marcos Deniza, when they came into the area, which is now the Diocese of Gallup, they came into the village, the Pueblo village, Native American peoples, indigenous peoples, and it was the Zuni Pueblo. And we know that in 1539, this was the first mass that was celebrated here in the western part of the United States in Little Zuni in the Diocese of Gallup. So here we have part of this envoy. Some are in search of the seven cities of gold, but then you had these faithful men who were also a part of that really holding on to the words of our Lord in Matthew 28, where he says to his apostles before he descends to the right hand of the Father, go therefore and make disciples, and this is how you are to make disciples, 
You make disciples by baptizing in the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to teach, teach everything that I have commanded you. In other words, pass on all that I have given you. And in doing that too, he also, our Lord, gives to his church, to his leaders of his church, he gives his authority. And then he gives the most beautiful of all the commandments, I believe. He says, remember, remember I am with you until the end of the ages. So members of that envoy were very faithful to that command. And in thinking about those very, very last words, remember I'm with you until the end of the ages. One of the greatest ways that we are able to experience Jesus being with us until the end of the ages is what we just knelt and adored. Jesus present to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Eucharistic King. And so when these missionaries came into the area and they encountered these indigenous people, they knew that the most important thing they could do was to offer the celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass, to make Jesus present to the people. So they too could experience that promise that Jesus gives in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. So the presence of our Lord, our Eucharistic King, has been in the western part of the United States for, for centuries. And we first came to know him in the Zuni Pueblo again, which is in the Diocese, Diocese of Gallup. The Diocese itself was not formally established until the year 16, uh, 1939, excuse me, 1939. So um, you know, some 400 years after the, the first mass was celebrated. And the reason why the diocese was established was St. Catherine Drexel, who's very important to us here in the United States as well as in my diocese. St. Catherine Drexel in uh, the mid-30s heard that Eugenio Pacelli, who was the secretary for the Vatican State, was coming to the United States. And these are back in the days when you had to take a, a ship and it took a while to get over. And he was going to come and visit places like Baltimore. He's going to places like uh, Boston and New York and Chicago and even Los Angeles. So St. Catherine Drexel could be very, very persuasive. And her sisters were already there and they were already there and they were teaching a very underserved portion of our, our society, that being African-American and Native American peoples. And Catherine Drexel said, please come and see this place because she firmly believed that a diocese needed to be established with the primary ministry of ministering to and amongst the Native American peoples. And so Eugenio Pacelli came and he saw and he returned, 1936. Three years later, Eugenio Pacelli is elected as successor of St. Peter, chooses the name Pius XII. If not the first, one of the first dioceses he established that year was the Diocese of Gallup. He had a great heart and a great love for the people. He saw the need and he meant it. He truly had a shepherd's, uh, shepherd's heart. So in my diocese, one of my favorite pictures, actually it's my favorite picture that I have, is in my office I have a picture of Eugenio Pacelli, the future Pius XII, he's now venerable Pius XII, and he is literally standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. That's my diocese. 
He did it long before the Eagles even thought to sing about it. So that's my diocese, very, very Native American. 62% of the lands are Native American lands, seven different Native American tribes, uh, all very, very distinctive Native American tribes, some very, very Catholic and some not so Catholic. And, but it's a beautiful place and truly uh, the, the church is alive and well there. But we were truly blessed in our diocese when we first had uh, Saint Mar uh, uh, the friar Marcos Deniza who celebrated and the sacrifice of the Mass and made Jesus present, our Eucharistic King. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they have my, he has my very own life within him. So Jesus tells us, right, that he imparts his very own life within us. And some of the questions we might ask ourselves, well, why is it that Jesus would do that? Why is it that he would want to impart his very own life in us. And I'd say that one of the main reasons that he would do that so that we might live like him. Jesus would impart his life within us so that we might live like him. He literally gives us his body and his blood so that he might dwell in us and we in turn would be his body in the world through our own actions. A beautiful quote uh, that it came upon from Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Avila, where she says, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you, your, you are his body. It's attributed to St. Teresa of Avila. And so we talk about uh, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, and Christ, how he wants to impart his very own life within us. We who are members of his mystical body. And we, he, one of the main reasons he does that, the, presence, the reasons that he does that, is so that we might love as Christ loves in the world, that we might love through our bodies as Christ loves in the world. So the theme for this weekend is growing in holiness, and it is men called to be saints. As I mentioned, Pope St. John Paul II said over and over and over again, we're all called to holiness. And how is it that we grow in holiness? We grow in holiness by seeking he who alone is holy, and that being God. To truly um, to be holy means to be whole. And we won't ultimately come to holiness until we come into the kingdom, right? Until we come into God's kingdom. Scripture passage, I think, is very important for us this week and comes from St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where, Jesus, where St. Paul says, Be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. And if we think about it, there's a, there's a real attractiveness to the saints. Um, these are the saints, we think. They received Jesus. They're the saints who had his, they're the people who had his very own life within them. Great love, devotion, in terms of reception, and worthily receiving our, our Lord in communion. So they had his very own life within them, and they in turn, what they did was they lived out that quote, that quote that I just gave you from Teresa of Avila. So the saint that we're going to journey with this weekend is Saint Benedict.
St. Benedict lived from the year 480 to 547. St. Benedict is known as the father of Western monasticism. And if anyone's ever had an opportunity to read a great book, it's called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And it's written by Thomas uh, uh, Cahill. Um, it probably would be better entitled How St. Benedict and Western Monasticism Saved Western Civilization. And the reason why he uses that, that title of how the Irish Age Civilization was Ireland essentially was um, kind of you know, independent or maybe even cut off from all the things that were going on in, in Europe. You know, we have the Edict Milan in the, fourth, in the fourth century where Christianity is now legal, essentially becomes the, uh, the religion of the Roman Empire. We see as the Roman Empire continues to spread we see that Christianity continues to spread. But then when we have the sack of Rome, that's when we have all sorts of difficulties. But here you have in Ireland, you have uh, the, the life of the church within Western uh, monasticism, how it is very, very strong. And they, they retain that culture, right? They retain that, that, that sense of um, Western civilization. And so a lot of that can go back and be attributed uh, to, to St. Benedict, father of Western monasticism. A virtue, a virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good, right? So it's habitual, it's something that we work on, it's something that we make a habit, right? A virtue is a habitual and a firm disposition, so we, we have a good, strong disposition in order to pursue and to do what? Do the good, right? It also allows a person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. The virtuous person tends toward the good with all his sensory and spiritual powers. He pursues the good and chooses it in, in, it, it in concrete actions. Pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. So the virtue that St. Benedict, I believe, models for us, it's important for us this weekend, is the virtue of religion. Now you might say, I've never heard of that virtue, the virtue of religion. You know, we might think about the, the uh, theological virtues, those which are infused by God of faith, hope, and charity. You might think about the cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, right? But, you know, these are all virtue but, virtue, but religion itself, I believe, is a virtue that is needed now more so than ever. We hear things such as people will say to us, I'm spiritual but not religious. We hear this over and over and over again. I know many of you listen to my good friend's show on the radio, Patrick Madrid, and you hear people say that over and over and over again. Not so much that they're dealing with that, but that they, are, um, they have friends or family members who are dealing with that. And I think we get things like that, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. We get things like that because we are seeing the rise of secularism in our world. You know, Pope Benedict used to talk about the, the different isms of the world. He talked about relativism. Another one that he spoke about was secularism. And I like to give this quick little definition on secularism. He said that secularism is living in a world 
or he didn't say this, that secularism is living in a world as if God does not exist. So living in a world as if God does not exist. And our world is falling prey to secularism, but we can also be influenced in a negative way by secularism. So we don't want to give in to that, and I think that's why the virtue of religion is so important. And for us to practice the virtue of religion and make sure that it's habitual in our life, right? To build that good habit so that in the world we're not impacted by secularism, living in worlds if God does not exist, but we really are that leaven within the world, that we're not living in the lowest common denominator, but we are aspiring to greatness, which we're all made for. We're made for greatness. And ultimately that greatness is holiness, and that holiness is wanting to be saints, and that holiness is also wanting to pursue um, he who alone is holy, and that is our loving God. So this weekend, I'm going to sprinkle in a few different saints throughout the weekend. There's some of them, such as Francis of Assisi, Pope St. John Paul II, St. John Vianney, um, one of our newer saints, St. Saint Louis Martin. And that is, uh, you might not know his name, but you probably know his daughter, St. Therese of Lisieux. And so her, her, her father is, is a saint as well. And so these are some of the saints I'm going to sprinkle in, and probably is a few as well. So again, that, that scripture passage I want you to reflect upon is, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. Those are the words of St. Paul. And if we think about who the saints are, the saints are the ones who have gotten it right, right? They're the ones who are successful. Uh, borrowing the words from uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, God uh, does not call us, you know, uh, to real ultimately to, to be successful, but he calls us to fidelity. And through that fidelity, we reach that ultimate pinnacle, which is that success. And that is success with God forever in heaven. Those are the ones who have gone before us, and where they have gone, the saints we hope to follow. And so we can imitate them in as much as they imitated the life of Jesus Christ. I know through orientation, we talked about some of the important things, but I really want to stress um, silence and the importance of silence. First uh, Kings 18, verses 20 to 40, we encounter Elijah. And we encounter Elijah in the battle, right? In a battle with the false priests of the false god of Baal. And ultimately, we know the end of the story. What happens is Elijah and the true God are triumphant. But Elijah has to flee for his life because of this. And so when Elijah flees, he comes into a, ca into a uh, cave and he is in pursuit of God. He is seeking God. And we all, all those manifestations that we're so accustomed to in which people do encounter God throughout the scriptures and the fire and the quakes and the wind and all these things. And as the scripture says, it's not until Elijah quiets himself. It is not until he quiets himself and, and when he's able to actually hear the voice of God. He's yearning for God, right? His heart is longing for God. And he's looking at him for all these these manifestations that perhaps might have been God, you know, a way to encounter him. But it's not until he quiets, quiets himself. And so take advantage of the silence. 
Um, see the silence as a gift that God wants to give to you. It's a bit difficult to enter into, and I think we just need to acknowledge that. But um, take advantage of it and to enter into it. When I was in the seminary, I went to the seminary here in Los Angeles. Uh, at the end of a, a, a summer-long program that we had, we made a three-day silent retreat. It's my first experience of a silent retreat. And going into it, I was a little nervous. How am I going to do this? I'm with, you know, 25 of my classmates, some of my closest friends. How is it that we're going to enter into this? How are we going to be quiet? All these different things that were going through my mind. When we arrived at this beautiful retreat center, the Passionist Retreat Center here in Los Angeles, uh, the Lord gave me a bit of a, a thorn in my side. And the thorn that he gave me in my side is he made me sick. It made me sick for 24 hours. I was literally sicker than a dog. And what that did for me was that, and my, my spiritual director said, stay in your room, just stay in your room. And so what that did for me was it put me in my room. It cut me off from all my friends. It cut me off from all my temptations. And what it did was it quieted me down for 24 hours. Now that bug or flu or whatever it is that I had, it broke about 11 o'clock at night after all my friends were in, in bed and all the temptations were put away. And I remember getting up and going to the chapel and I've had one of the most intense periods of prayer in my life. It really was, people talk about those moments of God. It really was a moment of God. And I, I believe it because the Lord sent something to me. I received it as a gift, thank God and I enter into the silence, and I was able to hear his voice you know, speaking to my heart, really at the core of my heart. So I say that because um, let's, let's really respect the silence and see it as a gift, and respect the silence of your brothers as well. None of us ever want to get in the way of somebody hearing God's voice. And if we don't take advantage of the silence, then perhaps we might get in the way of doing that. So I wanted tonight to be a little light, give a bit of introduction to me, introduce the theme for tonight, and then uh, just really encourage you to have a prayerful night and have a restful sleep. Think about the life of St. Joseph. How was it that God communicated to him? This was a righteous man, meaning that God came first, others second, and he was third. This meant that he was a man of prayer. He was faithful, faithful, faithful to God. And how was it that God communicated to him? And he communicated him three times to him in a dream. So enter into the prayer, enter into the silence, have pleasant dreams, be open to the Lord and what he wants to say and do in your life for this weekend. Let's conclude with a, a beautiful prayer, uh, the daily prayer from one of our newest saints, uh, Cardinal Newman, St. John Henry Newman. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord support us all the day long till the shades lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in his mercy, may he give us a safe lodging, a holy rest and a peace at last. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.